Welcome to the Sobriety Diaries, friends. My name is Nate. I am a grateful recovering alcoholic and sober coach. My addiction has shaped the person I am today and given me the ability and voice to help others, and I simply wouldn't be here without it. Recovery is possible. The Sobriety Diaries is a video podcast where we share powerful stories of recovery told by those who live them. Head on over to thesobrietydiaries.com where you can apply to be a guest on the show and join our insiders list for exclusive content, early release episodes, and much more. Also, please share this podcast with just one person in your life who may still be struggling. You just never know what they may need to hear today. Also, before we jump into things today, I wanted to take a minute to thank Exact Nature for sponsoring today's show. Founded by a father and son in addiction recovery, Exact Nature's all-natural CBD products are specifically formulated to help you face the challenges of recovery, be it anxiety, cravings, or even improving sleep. I absolutely love the Serenity Oil, and Exact Nature has even helped me kick the nicotine habit, which I am happy to say, now I am over two months nicotine-free. As a listener of the Sobriety Diaries, use the code TSD20 at exactnature.com for 20% off of your order. Again, use the code TSD20 at checkout. Happy Sober Day, friends. Thank you so much for downloading today's episode and spending part of your day with me here on the Sobriety Diaries. KL Wells, thank you so much for joining us on the Sobriety Diaries today. How are you, my friend? I am fantastic. Great to be with you. We were kind of just chatting and and getting to know one another, and I think it's going to be a great conversation and Mm -hmm. something that you know, our listeners, it really fits into uh, what we try to get across on the podcast. So I appreciate Mm -hmm. your time today. Absolutely. Glad to be with you. So I want to start in the true vein of of the Sobriety Diaries, how Mm -hmm. you personally have been touched by addiction and how that experience has really shaped the, the course of your life. Great question. Um, so what I would say is, Usually I come to this because of my experience with my son. And as I was thinking about it more in the last few days, I thought, you know, I, I'm the daughter um, of an addict, um, prescription medications back in the fifties. Mm. Um, I'm the sister of an addict who went on to use cocaine. I married an alcoholic. Um, I am married to a recovering alcoholic now, um, and she's doing fantastic. And, um, and then I have my son who over the last few years, we really have come to grips with what was going on in his life and how, um, how we could figure out how to be of service to him. But, you know, as it always starts for a parent in particular, it's, it is, it's shocking. It's terrifying. It is, it is the worst thing you can think of, honestly. Um, to wake up one day and realize that your son is not who you thought he was and he's in trouble. And so when we began to realize what was going on a a few years ago, um, I started making trips up to Washington. We live in, in Oregon and 
One of those trips was because he had taken some drugs and he was in psychosis. And so he was, you know, hallucinating and um, incredibly paranoid and so many things that go along with that. And so that particular trip was the seminal moment. We picked him up, we fed him, we took him to a hotel. He left because of paranoia. And subsequently, um, I witnessed him being arrested at gunpoint that day. And now before this trip, what was your level of awareness, um, I guess, of his addiction or that he may be in trouble? We had been figuring it out for about a year. We knew that he was in trouble, um, but he he wasn't ready to go to rehab yet. And so it was continuing to deliver the message that we love you and we are here for you without enabling him as much as we possibly could stop from doing that. Sure. And, you know, as a parent, I think the biggest thing that I struggled with and that we struggled with was we wanted to do something. (laughs) And, and sometimes, um, you know, I, I made the mistake of giving him money, um, and shouldn't have. And, you know, so that was part of my journey on this was to figure out and get resources and learn from people um, who would help and guide me in the best things to do to support him the most. Yeah. And it really came down to just loving him through his own journey and being consistent in delivering that message. And the day that he got arrested, that was a seminal moment that shifted everything at that point. And Voices and Courage was actually born out of that moment because I had people that I could rely on, but nobody was really adept in navigating the the judicial system, the healthcare system, the, you know, um, drug court, all of the things that you go through um, when that particular uh, incident showed up. And, um, and then three weeks of isolation in jail while he was Mm -hmm. in psychosis, you know, all the things that we were concerned about and really who could I talk to? Um, and who couldn't I get a hold of? And um, and then being able to kind of stay sane in the midst of all of that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that did happen, Nate, was that was on a Saturday. I'm an executive coach and business consultant. Follow, the Tuesday right after that, I w- went into a meeting with one of my um, it, companies that I work with, and the CEO was not there. And I very quickly learned that her son had died from an overdose on Saturday. Wow. So while I had just been through my own experience relative to witnessing my son being arrested, she witnessed, she didn't witness, but she, she lost her son to an overdose. And between Saturday and Tuesday, I did enough personal work to be able to hold the space for the executive team who was in trauma, in shock. Um, wondering how they were going to navigate running this company while the CEO, for all intents and purposes, had been taken out of the equation. Yeah. Wow. It gave me chills when you said that. It's such an interesting point that when we are faced with these experiences that throw us into making decisions and throw us into experiences that we have never been involved in or had Mm to you know, step up and and start making decisions or dealing with like, to your point, therapists, doctors, 
police officers, sheriff's right. department, you know, it's, mm-hmm. it's, we're thrown into these situations where, mm-hmm. you know, you, you try to do your best and, and you try mm-hmm. to get through and, and do, you know, do your best for your loved one. But coming out on the other side, it is sort of this, not to put a positive spin on it, but this fraternity of mm-hmm. that you probably don't want to be a part of where you can then extend this this grace and this knowledge onto other people who are going through the same thing that yes. really could use any support at that time that that they're going through through the same thing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, I think because of the work that I do, I was more prepared than the average person. Um, however, even given that, I was still thrown completely and traumatized by the situation. And so I had to step into my own work in order to move beyond the trauma um, and then continue to show up for my clients. And so that's why the executive space is so kind of near and dear to my heart is because, I mean, let's get real. We are in a pandemic of addiction at this point. Um, And so not only are we dealing with alcoholism and, and addiction and all kinds of addictions, Um, there's at least three to four family members or people that are affected by the addiction. And we can no longer have that conversation of, we just need them to get fixed because we're in this together. This is a dance that we do with them. And, you know, so we have our own journey in this. And I, and so I wanted to figure out what was my journey in this at this stage of my life. And, and then how could I use this to transcend and include this moment in upping my purpose for being here on the planet? And, and then now how can I help others who are caught in the crosshairs of most likely one of the most traumatic experiences of their lives? So that they can navigate this and not just move to from crisis to surviving, but move to thriving, actually. Mm. Such a good point. And it doesn't just affect us as the addict. We know it's a family disease. So I do want to touch on voices and courage and and the mission of of what you do there and Mm -hmm. to really focus on you know, there is a small, small percentage of folks who are not touched by addiction these days. I mean, it's exactly. almost like we have to reverse the equation now. It's not mm-hmm. what yep. percentage are affected. It's it's there is a minute percentage of people in this country that mm-hmm. are not affected by addiction. Mm-hmm. And I know that you work um, to provide that sort of recovery and uh, rebuilding in the family sense. Yes. I mean, I, I do believe that there's, <laughs> I put together a strategy based on what I did, which was number one, feel. Hmm. I needed to, as soon as he was arrested and taken away, I went up to my hotel room with, with my wife and I completely literally dropped to my knees and lost my cookies. Yeah. Um, and, um, and so People have got to get into the habit of being able to feel their emotions. I mean, it's part of the reason why I do believe we're, we're stuck in um, these patterns that do not serve us. Um, and then the second thing is self-care. I knew immediately that I had to up um, my regimen of self-care in a way that I hadn't quite um, imagined before, but I was on it. Um, we have to put our oxygen masks on first. 
And, and then we have to have a community that surrounds us that is going to have our backs and tell us the truth. And I know in my work, 95% of our success or failure is absolutely determined by who we surround ourselves with. So I needed to add some people to the equation that were able to play in this space with me and have my back and tell me the truth and hear and listen to how I was transitioning through this and how I was going through this. And, um, and then there's, we have to change our, our beliefs and our, and our mindset around a lot of this. And so learning as a way to navigate from people who, who I would consider models in this arena, finding those people, um, and then really learning that, um, kind of the way that I was coming at this before in some ways was a failed strategy, not only for myself, but also for my son and for our family. And so I was like, okay, if this doesn't work, then what does work? That's how we learn, right? From, from failures and from, uh, Mm -hmm. moments where we are a little uncomfortable or our, (laughs) you know, learning ourselves. I think that's where we do our best growing and learning. So, uh, kudos to you for then um, condensing that and sharing and sharing it with <laughs> others, right? <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> um, so I was part of a panel last week in discussing uh, recovering alcoholics in the workforce and mm-hmm. in our professional lives and in the executive world. And, you know, my stance was, and something that I was sort of going to bat for during the panel was that, you know, we oftentimes are overlooked because of Mm -hmm. our past and, Mm -hmm. you know, recovering alcoholics or addicts. If we have this stigma or the scarlet letter on our sweater, Mm -hmm. that we are oftentimes overlooked for our skills. And I think Mm -hmm. that, you know, in my experience and in most recently working in a professional setting with others in recovery, you know, mm-hmm. we are some of the most uh, tenacious and creative and um, resourceful, resourceful, thank you, Brilliant. thoughtful people mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. I have come across in my professional mm-hmm. life. And I think yes. that we have been through hell and back and mm-hmm. have been able to sort of utilize that in many mm-hmm. aspects of our life, but certainly in a, on a professional level. I wonder if, if you have seen that in the past or if you can speak a little on the professional <laughs> setting. Well, as far as I'm concerned, um, what I just said is so true is number one, we are at a pandemic relative to executives, relative to alcoholism and drug addiction and a bunch of isms. And I don't know too many uh, execs, and I work with a lot of execs and a lot of companies that aren't dealing with this in some form or fashion. Mm. Um, themselves, pre- predominantly, but also then friends or family members. And so what I, my personal experience has been extraordinary with people who are on the other side in terms of recovery. The heart-centeredness that addicts and alcoholics bring to the planet right now is absolutely what we need. And so if, if you have the courage to step up and meet the challenge of your addiction or your alcoholism and get to the other side, who you are in the world matters. We need you now. And, and so I, I frame things in terms of alcoholics and addicts. Um, huh. 
are in a world right now that doesn't serve them, mm. doesn't allow them to breathe, doesn't allow them to be the best version of absolutely who they are. They're at crossroads and crosshairs with the cultures that we've created that do not serve. And um, there was a brilliant book that I read back in the 90s called The Paradigm Conspiracy. Mm. And it had a tremendous impact. It, it's, it's still by my bed. And it did the comparative contrast of cultures. One was power over and control of, which is basically the global culture that we live in at this point. And the other one was soul honoring. And I live in a world, I work with my execs in what are you inspired to create in the world? What lights you up? What is your gift to bring to the planet at this point? Um, and so the soul honoring paradigm was um, exemplified by the Iroquois Confederacy, which was born out of the near, near annihilations of the Northeast tribes at that time, uh, because they were living in power control and they were about ready to annihilate themselves. Yeah. Sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I so, see where we're going. Yes. So I, I believe that we are at that 500-year delta right now, that we are so steeped in power and control, and it's killing us. Mm. And so alcoholics and addicts, they are the heart-centered people that we need in the world. And if we can help them rise to transcend and include the issues that they're dealing with and bring their gifts and talents and their brilliance and their heart to the planet right now, that is absolutely who we need. Mm. So true. And there is there is just this compassion and this sort of like, I get you and you get me and we don't even necessarily have to say a damn word to each other. But right. there is that um, there's that just compassion that I that mm -hmm. I haven't experienced with any other sort of group of people in my life. And it's mm -hmm. it's it's just heartwarming. And I totally mm -hmm. agree that if, if we saw more of that, and it was more widespread, yes. then mm -hmm. um we perhaps would would be pulling ourselves out of this a bit quicker than than we have been. Mm -hmm. Yes. So I I think of things in terms of addiction, alcoholism is the big red flag, the big cultural red flag that's being woven um, to wake us up. It's time <laughs> to wake up. It's time to wake up, and and that means the rest of us too. Right. Um, because y'all aren't a. Uh, somebody that needs to be fixed. <laughs> you know, I, I just find it so offensive that, you know, take them to rehab, fix them, yeah. and then we'll take them back and it'll all be good. Um, and that's just such an illusion. The, the hard work happens after that yes. rehab. The hard work happens when the alcohol is gone and you know, we realized that we were using that as a coping mechanism. Right. And what is the deeper issue? You know, what mm -hmm. do we do to replace the only coping mechanism that I knew as an adult mm -hmm. man at 33 years old? What right. do I do now to deal with anxiety or depression or life? Uh, mm -hmm. So that's when that's when the real work begins. Yes, yes. And I mean, we're at pandemics along those lines in terms of anxiety, depression, and all, all of those things. Certainly COVID has like cracked that wide open. And, um, and so we, we have to up our skills as human beings. Um, is it okay if I ask how your son's doing now? Yes, um, you can always ask. 
<laughs> Good. Um, and uh, at this point, he's nine and a half uh, months clean and sober. Awesome. So happy to hear that. Yes. So after multiple, you know, um, rehabs and relapses and so on and so forth, um, it, th- this appears to be his time. Great. So, yeah, I just saw him last weekend. He looks fantastic. Amazing. So happy to yes. hear that. Thank you. Let me ask if you see a common opportunity in some high-level execs that you work with. Is there something that is a common thread that maybe they uh, need a little more coaching on from you or something that maybe they're not providing their workforce with um, that we see uh, as a common thread coming from the top? Well, we're still in the executive space steeped in shame and judgment. And we have got to drop that. Hmm. Um, and so if that's present in the people that I'm working with or the corporate culture that I'm in, um, I very quickly get to that. And if they're willing to play, great. If they're not, I, I um, remove myself from the situation because there's a bigger purpose in all of this as far as I'm concerned. I believe that business is a vehicle to live an inspired life. It's not the end all to be all. And so I want to work with execs that are open to new perspectives and new ways of dealing with things, dealing with their own shame and judgment because everybody deals with it in some form or fashion. And when we deal with it ourselves, then we are much more um, compassionate and kind in helping others do the same thing. And so the first thing is if I can help that exec begin to kind of crack their heart wide open and get at their stuff first, then they are far more open to addressing all of these issues from a compassionate place and a place that will actually, in so many ways, get them better results. Right. Yeah, that's what I was sort of getting at. Like, Mm -hmm. are they, uh, you know, they get to where they are uh, because of a certain level of, uh, effort and, and sort of go get them and, and mm-hmm. being tenacious. But I mm-hmm. think it's to, to your point too, are they willing to see that they will get better results perhaps with other using other avenues? Absolutely. Well, you know, to your point earlier, Nate, when you were talking about the numbers of people that are dealing with this is if, if <laughs> honestly, if we don't deal with this in corporate America, who are we going to employ? Right. I mean, you know, the big, I think, I think it's somewhat hilarious right now that, you know, 87% of corporate America wants their employees back at work <laughs> and 13% want to go. And that 87% is like, they don't understand why they don't want to come back. Um, so we have a big disconnect here in understanding that we have created these churning machines corporately that do not honor our humanity. And put some other things uh, at, a, at a higher level of importance, I think, than, uh, than humanity or the mm-hmm. happiness of the workforce. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I've worked in HR for a long time. So, like, mm. you're speaking my language here. Yes. It's, <laughs> it's why I was of the stance that I was um, on the panel last week. But, Great. yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, we have a... We have a re complete re-engineering of corporate America to tackle. Yes. 
Yes. And, and what I would say, Nate, is that every exec that I talk to has their own story. Whether it's theirs personally or whether it's a family member. I have yet to talk to an exec that doesn't have a story. Once they feel safe. Yeah. And how long do you, does that usually take if you're working on like a coaching with like a coaching um, relationship? How, like, how long would it take to get to that level where they open up about something like that? It, it, it varies, but I would say that most, well, all of my business at this point is through referral. So people know when they're sitting down to talk to me that um, you're showing up to play or I'm not going to be there. I don't see the point. So I can tell that about you in the short time that we've spent together (laughs) and I love it. (laughs) Yeah. Great. (laughs) Um, And so I, I have people that will tell me something in the first meeting. And then I have people that it could take several months to get to the real the real stuff that they're ashamed of, or they, they have tremendous judgment around, or um, it's th- that's the dark side for them. And it doesn't take that long for them to realize that I'm a safe place for them to, to, to be and to tell, and it's never going to go anywhere. And that because I've been through so much personally, if I, I will tell my story, if I believe it will serve them in helping them understand, I know where they are. Mm. And once that happens, then we're, we're off to the races. So how much more of a safe place could you be coming from um, the <laughs> ex-wife, the sister, the mother, the mm-hmm. daughter, mm-hmm. Uh, one who has experienced addiction in so many uh, forms and fashions? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just great that you're willing to share that and mm-hmm. I think that you have found your niche and it's, yes. it's you're in exactly the right spot yes yeah well I, I firmly believe that everything that happens to us has a higher purpose attached to it and clearly all that I've been through um, was for this moment for me and to create voices and courage to be a resource to the loved ones that are navigating this in a way that is safe, secure, and a level up from just surviving to also thriving. Um, That's my calling. KL, what do you hope that people take away from hearing you on the podcast today? I hope that they understand that even though it's not being talked about as much as it should be, um, we're at pandemic levels. It's happening everywhere. And people that you think aren't experiencing it, trust me, they are. And so you're never alone. There is always somebody else that you can reach out to. There are more resources now available and ask for help. Please step out of, you know, the place you've put yourself in and please ask for help because it's available and it will help you navigate in a way that hopefully will help you get to thriving. Beautifully said. KL Wells, Voices and Courage. I will link everything in today's show notes. Thank you so much for your time today. Beautiful conversation. I appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening today, friends. Make sure you check the show notes for all the information that we discussed in today's episode. 
Hopefully you heard something that resonates with you. And if we help just one person, our job is done. You can find all things podcast related and subscribe to our show at the sobrietydiaries.com, youtube.com slash Nate Kelly, where we upload today's video podcast and on Instagram at the sobriety diaries pod. Check back soon for new episodes with new stories to tell. But until then, try your best not to drink and be good to yourself. Bye, friends.